From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Vega Nelson. This is Film Club, a podcast series where our youth, film critics, and cultural connoisseurs spill the theoretical tea on a new movie. So these are spoiler-filled conversations, folks. If you haven't seen the movie they're talking about, be prepared to learn far more about them than the trailer will tell you. We're going to be doing something a little different for the show. We're switching over to television to talk about the new ABC drama series set in our very own state, Alaska Daily. Alaska Daily follows an investigative journalist who loses her job at a prestigious national news outlet who then takes a job working for a newspaper in Anchorage, Alaska. The show stars Oscar winner Hilary Swank as the journalist Eileen Fitzgerald. It was created by Tom McCarthy, whose script for the movie Spotlight also made him an Oscar winner. The show is inspired by the reporting of Anchorage Daily News reporter Kyle Hopkins. His series Lawless, which provides the basis for some of the storylines on the show, won a Pulitzer Prize. In this episode, our anime producers got together on Zoom to talk about the first three episodes of the show. As with any movie or TV show that is set in Alaska, there can be a lot to get right and a lot to get wrong, especially since the show is mostly filmed in Vancouver, Canada. Here is their discussion led by Atme producer Madison Dooley. Okay, so thank you guys so much for coming to this roundtable about Alaska Daily. Um, so I'm going to read a season one, episode one pilot recap. This was written and directed by series creator Tom McCarthy. So the recap is we meet investigative journalist Eileen Fitzgerald, who was fired from her job at a national news organization after it's discovered that she didn't properly vet one of her sources. She then takes a job working for an old colleague at a newspaper in Anchorage, Alaska, and is tasked with investigating the death of an Alaska Native woman. And we also meet the various reporters and staff of the Alaska Daily, the newspaper where she now works, including Roz Friendly, who is paired up with Eileen on the story. So what were our initial thoughts, feelings on the pilot episode? Should we introduce ourselves first? You should. It's in my notes. I'm sorry. Hi, please go around and introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Logan Smith, and my thoughts on this series so far are mixed. Uh, I think it's like trying to be almost like another like crime procedural show, but not a crime procedural. It's about journalists instead. And unsurprisingly, they're gonna, you know, sanitize some stuff up for the sake of uh, compelling drama. And not just sanitize, but just uh, make it different in a way that almost bends the reality, which seems to be I don't know, I'll go more into this later, but I just have mixed thoughts on it. I'm Madison Knudsen, and um, I guess my thoughts on the first episode is just, like, it was it was fine. It wasn't anything, like, egregious. Um, I really cringed at the scene in the airport when it looked like they were in the Seattle airport, um, and... When they, uh, when Eileen got out of the cab to go to the um, Captain Cook, because that is not what the streets usually look like during the summer in Alaska. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, the plot of it is good. 
it's advocating about a really good and important topic, which is uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, so, like, not bad, but, you know, not great. Either. Madison, I feel the same way. I'm Quinn White. I was really excited for this show to come out. And, you know, I think you're right, Madison. It does, like, explore, like, this really compelling and important topic of missing and murdered indigenous women especially in Alaska um personally my cringe moment was like when they were going through like they were like driving through downtown Anchorage or whatever and like they passed Chilkoot Charlie's I was a little confused by that otherwise um I have hope of hope for this series but I also like Logan I have some mixed feelings I'm Orman Lowe's and after watching the show, I can very much confirm that Alaska Daily is a show with a cast and a producer and a director and a soundtrack. So um, the majority of the show was filmed in Vancouver, Canada, and some of the exterior scenes and transition shots were filmed on location in Anchorage. And obviously, like you guys mentioned, kind of how you feel about the depiction of Alaska in the show so far. Um, Quinn, I definitely agree with you with the downtown shots where we kind of cut to that one little bar that isn't in downtown Anchorage. I was a little bit confused. Um, I just thought it was a little interesting. Personally, uh, it could just be because I'm introverted and don't get out much, but uh, I didn't I didn't really care that much about the geographical inconsistencies that were mentioned earlier, just because I figured like, they, okay, they were going from downtown to somewhere else, which was, or we're passing somewhere else. Like that's just what I got. It's one of the early cinematic inventions with that of the montage, like when a location is shown after a bunch of other locations, we're meant to understand that they traveled to another location. But honestly, the geography didn't bother me. What bothered me is that they, they depicted Alaska in a uh, way they tried to depict its people, but I'm not 100% sure if they got it 100% right. And because I'm so introverted, I can't provide a more nuanced description than that. I hear you. I, you know, I'm a little biased. Maybe we're a little biased because this is where we grew up and this is where we're from, you know, because like, like generally I was pretty impressed with how, like they depicted Anchorage. And I think I was telling you guys this the other day in one of our other meetings, but for our audience, I'll go ahead and re-explain. I learned in one of my classes recently that like, so we know that a lot of things they film in other locations because it's cheaper and like for like tax cuts or whatever. Um, but I kind of feel like in this case, it kind of did the show a bit of a disservice um, because I don't know. I really feel like they had a really great opportunity to showcase like this real issue that it's based off a of real story. But I was a little thrown by like the kind of yeah, something doesn't really feel right. It kind of feels like they're kind of like leaning into like some weird stereotypes. 
Okay, so my next question is about Eileen. So she's portrayed as being difficult, and I'm wondering if you guys think this is fair. Um, for example, do you think she's treated like this because she's assertive over being accommodating? I have some problems with uh, Eileen. Um, she, I think she is like portrayed as difficult, not because she's like, you know she's assertive and she does you know gets what she wants but because she calls people woke wussies and just doesn't work with people um i think uh especially since she's a journalist i feel like her being sort of the lone wolf character really does not work with like what today's journalism is and i really feel like you know, if she was a younger journalist that like it wouldn't she wouldn't have made it this far without working with people. And like she you have to be cooperative to like get a story out there and, and like you can't just do it all by yourself. Um, So, yeah, she definitely like sometimes a lot of do, a lot of characters are like perceived as difficult because they go for what they want and like she does go for what she wants and like does what she can to get the story out but at the same time she's you know making fun of people and just not being kind to the people and the resources around her I agree I agree so much Madison you probably put it a lot more eloquently than I ever could um I have a lot of problems with Hillary Swink's character and it's it goes a lot deeper than just her wig okay but she is my least favorite character in the show I'm not sure if she is um try if they are trying to make her hateable but um yeah you're right Madison I don't think someone like this could really um thrive in a newsroom um because yeah these are all collaborative efforts um especially for like such like a major and complex story that's impossible to do on your own and it's kind of frustrating to like keep hearing like her like like I get okay I understand that she's not a real person okay because that's important to note however um yeah I'm just really not getting the impression that this is this is not the way it works right yeah I, I will say uh, I agree with both of those statements uh to a point though like I think that judging by her interaction with that uh, uh I hate this word uh pilot poet character uh mentioned earlier who appears at least twice in the show so far I do think her interactions with that pilot poet do point to a much more interesting character arc that's maybe going on. But I think the problem is how the show frames it. Because it frames her assertiveness and cruelty as almost related, even if they're setting her up for a character arc that maybe would undo that. And I think the show's framing works against the character for that reason, in my personal opinion. So I agree with what everyone said. Um, but I definitely felt like there were some instances where she was criticized for being assertive and not necessarily being rude. Um, so when she was like trying to get police records that were publicly available and they were being denied to her, people were like, "Ugh, she's just the worst. 
but that's okay to get that. It's public information. Like she should have been allowed that. And so I just thought that was interesting and I wanted to hear everyone's thoughts on it. You bring up a, a good point there. Um, in her her work, in her tactics, I think she is assertive and that's good. But I think when she when it comes to like working with other journalists, she's very cold and she doesn't quite use her resources. But like, yes, get those police documents. Um, but you don't need to be mean to your team who's trying to help and also gives you diversity in your team because you aren't from here. You don't necessarily understand the culture. So you need your partner, Roz Friendly, to help you understand. Roz Friendly is really the shining star of this show. Um, but I agree with you. It doesn't make much sense to channel all that aggression at their team and not the people that are doing bad things. Um, yeah, like, of course, it's you need to go get that public information. Like, if you're going to be, if you're going to be, like, stern or, yeah, if you're going to be stern, that is the time to do it not with your team who's trying to help you because they have and she's not admitting that they have any that they have more knowledge than her it's just yeah i rubbing me the wrong way yeah and i am curious to see where if nothing else i'm curious to see where the show goes with that framing and with the way her character is portrayed but i do agree that uh, Rosalind Friendly, is that the character's name or the actor's name? Uh, I think, yeah, she's uh, absolutely the most believable character in the show so far and definitely provides a good perspective that works with the material a lot more than the main character, sadly. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, in recent years, I've noticed this weird shift in how dialogue has changed to sort of mirror Gen Z online language. Kind of. Um, so how do you feel about the show's scripting? I personally felt it was like an AI bot was forced to watch 10,000 hours of Tumblr and then wrote something, um, not to be critical. I wholeheartedly agree. It's like the NCIS version of going through Tumblr, in my opinion. Like, it's like the, actually not even NCIS, it's the crime procedural it, like watched all episodes of all different like the worst spinoffs of CSI and NCIS and then went through Tumblr and tried to synthesize those into some weird Frankenstein language for the show. Yeah and here's the thing you know I'm gonna stick up for procedural television. I love procedural television. I love it. I love the predictability but um, even this is a little too predictable for me and um i i just it is so overdone like it's like kind of silly um i was just talking like earlier in our meeting and i was like i swear if like she says like woke or like what are the other like they're just like using like the same term like i'm just a little confused um do they think that's a bad word? Do they think that's like a sick burn? Like if somebody called me woke, I would like, they'd be like, hey, you woke pussy. 
what what would I say? Um, <laughs> you can feel free to edit this part out, but call it Boomer and CIS or something. It is. It is. Um, you know, this is this is for our moms and above. Um, I kind of am like, is this really how they? Because, like, you know, you know, if my mother is listening to this, I love my mother. I love, I love her. Love you, mom. But you know, sometimes like you know how adults are they're like you young people are too soft like y'all are y'all are soft or you know right because being hard work for you so well yeah they want to they want to call us wussies but um it's just it it's not as derogatory it's not derogatory it's just it's silly and it's kind of um annoying <laughs> Yeah, now that you mention it, Quinn, I did notice a few characters who looked or sounded a lot like they would say something like, <laughs> something about the radical left, if you know what I mean. That they're very, uh, some, some characters are pretty risky, pretty, pretty iffy, if you get my, if you get my um i think i agree with like everyone especially quinn and logan when they kind of like the ncis or like the this is like for moms in a way um again i love my mom and she loves this show but like nothing against it um but it very much feels generalized for a specific audience and this is like something i feel in the third episode as well with like uh what they do with the police but that's another story um it's like they kind of say like this is one population and this is like what our audience believes the population does so like we're gonna just do this so that they feel comfortable so this is like family time you could sit down and you could watch a show about murder murdered and um like missing indigenous women and i feel like you know it you know you kind of have to make this this really hard issue palatable for audiences um but you don't need to like make Gen Z language like sound like that because yeah, I I also think that like the use of woke is really interesting and in how like uh even like past the show how just woke is being used as kind of like an insult when it really isn't and just like the way it's been used in the internet has been like weaponized to kind of fight Gen Zers I guess. Well, Madison, I was going to say that I really feel like this, like, kind of silly use of, like, Gen Z language really does a disservice to the show. Um, like we heard earlier, like, some of, like, our friends and, like, friends of the show, if you will, like, have talked about, like, how they really, like, relate to these characters and they really admire them. And I do appreciate the show for what it's worth. I really do. They are shining light on a very important issue. However, I think they're really kind of leaning into like this, like I was saying earlier, like this weird perception of where we live. That's just like, I don't know. It's just odd. It's just odd. We'll be right back with more Youth Views on Alaska Daily. 
Classic Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can participate in roundtable discussions like the one you're listening to right now, conduct interviews, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and so much more. And all of that is paid work. And, get this, while we are based in Anchorage, you don't have to be here to work with us. You can work from home remotely. So, if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and are interested in joining at me, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Well, let's get back to it with the discussion on Alaska Daily, picking up with episode two. Season one, episode two. Um, it's called A Place We Came Together. It's written by Tom McCarthy and Gabriel Sherman, and it was also directed by Tom McCarthy. Um, so the recap is, Eileen and Roz travel to Kodiak to follow a lead on the investigation into Gloria Namunk's death. Meanwhile, Daily Alaskan reporter Claire Muncy reports on why the owner of a beloved local restaurant has decided to sell, a sell to a national burger chain. Um, at a town hall meeting discussing the sale, all hell breaks loose when disagreements boil over between members of the community. The story gets even more complicated when the restaurant is burned to the ground. Also, a reporter is devastated after the CEO that she wrote a story about turns up dead from an apparent suicide. What were your initial thoughts, feelings about this episode? If I may, if I may, I just need to get this off my chest and need to get this out of my heart. Um, the craziest thing I think about this show is how they portrayed how angry the people were about a national chain coming to Anchorage. Truly, in my life, every time a national chain has come to Anchorage, I remember when Krispy Kreme came to Anchorage and the line went around the building like two, three times. Remember when Raising Cane's came to Anchorage? Nobody was angry then. That, you know what? I'm an Alaskan for Big Burger. All right. I love a national chain. And, um, you know, I'll just go ahead and admit that right now. And I will go on the record to say that I also love it when a chain that I may have tried in the lower 48 comes to Alaska. But I will say to add on to your earlier point, that town meeting where, uh, as the synopsis puts it, all hell breaks loose, if I can say that legally. Uh, when that happens, I'm like, you know, this wouldn't happen. But I can't imagine it happened for maybe different issues that don't involve a restaurant chain. And I get what they were trying to dramatize. It was just in a comically absurd context that they couldn't help but just find it ridiculous. But that's just me. Literally in any other context, it would make so much sense. Because we have seen this happen. But to see it happen over a national burger chain, I mean, girl, we all love, we all, if, if you don't, you're lying. We all love a little fast food snack, okay? Be real. If we got a Chipotle here, it would fix 99 of my problems. 
I I love a Chipotle. I'm sorry. Qdoba is not as good. Alaskans for big burrito. <laughs> yes. Um, I agree with everyone and also mark me down as number three or four uh for Alaskans for Big Burger. Um, I would freak out if we got a Panera. Um but what bothered me was really the assembly and like everyone saying like that's so unrealistic how you would like have a brawl in the assembly building first of all to talk about the assembly building if there's anyone who's listening to this who has not been to Alaska we do not have a log building for our assembly building our assembly building is very nice and it we it is not like a community meeting it's it's very formal um and like if I was to compare the like meeting that I saw in uh, Alaska Daily to any meeting I've ever been to it would be the school board meeting the Anchorage school district school board meeting there's no brawls but there it is very heated um I think a more realistic issue they could have touched on is definitely schools in Alaska. Um, I do have to say I grew up in like a family with two school psychologists, so I am very involved in like education, but it gets intense in those meetings and it's an issue everyone cares about. Also like taxes you could have talked about, anything like that, homeless shelters, that's huge. So I don't know. It just felt so goofy. It felt so, so goofy. Um, they, they could have put anything else in there. Um, it was just so unbelievable. It was comical. Um, and like, like I was saying earlier, I think all of like these like kind of like comically ridiculous things are really kind of overshadowing the important part of this show. Yeah, and I will say that uh, it felt like the uh, town meetings of Parks and Recreation, but played for drama, and it ends up being about as comical for that reason. Okay, so kind of on the same issue, I kind of felt like Claire, um, the reporter who was doing the Rita um, restaurant situation, was giving a given a like straightforward no from Rita and overstepped in continuing to report on the situation. Um, as if the community was owned anything, owed anything about a diner, a little breakfast place, a little cabin to eat pancakes. Um, so what do you think the role of a journalist is or should be, or more specifically in this situation? What could, could have Claire done to not have acted this way? Claire needs to go back to journalism school, maybe. But you know what? Honestly, in the world they have created, maybe this is a big news story. You know, I'm a little bit confused about what constitutes a big news story there. Because it's clearly not the same world we're living in. Right. And to answer the question pretty directly, I do think it is a journalist's job to inform the public when something really serious is going on. And whether the public actually thinks it's serious is kind of up for debate obviously but for the most part uh, I think that yeah I can see the point that she overstepped especially by getting too personally involved in it to begin with 
because she it's pretty well established in the first few minutes of that episode that she and her family go there every birthday or something like that so there is a huge opportunity for conflict of interest if you're too involved in a diner that clearly means a lot to you so there's a lot going on I think uh, a big thing to think about when you're pitching a story, which I'm learning first year of like journalism is uh, audience and what matters to your audience. And I think in this aspect, yeah, a diner, a lot of people go to and is like sort of a safe haven for a lot of people closing is in some regards, big news. Like if I don't know, I'm trying to think if Moose's Tooth, ever like closed down we wouldn't like riot about it but like it would be something big to us but I also like the point uh that like Claire overstepped and it was a conflict of interest she had personal biases in the like involved in creating the story um and I think that if they might at the very least they should have waited to release the story until the owner was ready and like until things were more finite and like you know a little more like neat but I do think that with the conflict of interest it really makes it just not a good choice so there's this storyline about the CEO dying in a plane crash um, and it seems like it was taken from the real story of Andy Tuber who was once the president and chairman of the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. Uh, after resigning from his position in 2019 due to allegations of sexual misconduct from a former co-worker, Tuber went missing and apparently crashed his helicopter into the Gulf of Alaska. So what do we think about the show kind of fictionalizing real-life situations like this? I think that's kind of treading on shaky ground because on one hand, it's... I guess good to learn about things like this, but on the other hand, it seems like they're making money off of someone who just so happens to be controversial, and they just know that's going to rake in the Benjamins, which is... I think that if they are drawing a connection between what happened in the show and that man crashing his helicopter in real life then i am compelled to believe that this restaurant being burned down is is like what's the word um it seems like it's a representation of what happened at the sea galley you know that's um that made me giggle i just i'm a little confused um I didn't draw that connection personally but I'm but you know impressed that you did um I I like everyone else have like not heard about that story um but I think what's really interesting what you said Quinn about like kind of blurring the lines of like reality and fiction like fiction and reality sort of like being like well this is based off of lawless a ProPublica and like kyle hopkins produced piece also it like has a story that's similar to what like is 
what like a famous story in Alaska and then you have like those kinds of stories like Rita's that aren't really truthful it kind of for an audience in like the lower 48s it it's like this is Alaska and this is truthful um which ties into the third episode and my problem with the the police depiction in that I didn't know anything about the Seagalley issue so I just looked it up so now I'm like on Google doing that but I had no idea <laughs> like never forget the Seagalley rest in peace I was really struggling to find something that was correlated to Rita's um because like I was looking at like the placement in Anchorage where it would have been I was so confused like it just did not make any sense I was like I've never heard of this restaurant the owner burned it down what is this did the owner burn down Seagalley Quinn no, they probably didn't, but it did burn down. Um, confused to who did it, though. Okay, so season one, episode three, It's Not Personal, written by Stuart Zickerman and Miranda Rose Hall, directed by Clark Johnson. We have a whole new group of people. Eileen and Ross fly to meet Alaska, where Gloria lived and was found dead. They meet with the town's chief of police to obtain the police record, but when they finally get it, Almost all of it is redacted. Back at the Alaska Daily, a reporter grapples with backlash on the story that she wrote on the CEO, who later took his own life. Reporter Austin Teague looks into the behind-the-scenes dealings of a politician running for the U.S. Senate. What were your initial thoughts and feelings on this episode? This is this is the episode, the police presence. I had uh, some issues with... Um, I think the the um the story about the reporter who's kind of dealing with the the trauma I guess of having or like the the internet backlash right I should say of you know having done a story on someone who then committed suicide I think that's really important to address mental health issues within journalists uh as for like the main story with Eileen and Roz um I had issues with the police presence uh so this is based off of lawless and in that they spend significant a significant amount of time talking about village i village safety police uh, um like officials and it's a program where they basically recruit people to be like the police presence because they do not have enough funds in many uh, Alaska Native villages to send actual police officers up. And so they have to kind of promote these citizens to watch uh, everyone and to basically be the police presence. And it, it in the article, it's they go really deep into it and like these people are being like stretched and they have to like arrest their family members and close friends because there's no other police presence there um and so I just find it a missed a missed opportunity to just kind of make it in this episode just be like we're in this village and they have a police officer and it's fine and the thing is about corruption which I think can happen and is important to address but i think the big thing within the alaska native villages is the lack of resources they have which leads to these cases not being properly reported because there's not enough people 
to like bring justice to these cases and also the lack of people knowing about these cases and wanting to you know find justice uh for these various people uh I'm not trying to say like you know we shouldn't have talked about police corruption because that's incredibly important and can lead and leads to in many like of the lower 48s leads to more missing and murdered indigenous women but I just feel like they really missed the the ball trying to I don't know uh make it more broad like the rest of the country because I think police corruption is a huge thing happening in our country today and so we translate that over to this show when it's not necessarily that's not the problem necessarily in a lot of places here um so yeah that's my long-winded thought about this get ready for another one um you know i think i agree with a lot of that but uh the idea that you know it had so many things that it wanted to tackle that they made like the whole uh police corruption the uh underfunded resources in villages the and of course the aforementioned mental health of journalists which is kind of shoehorned in in the episode i think that you know, because they're trying to tackle so much in a short amount of time, or in this case, a handful of episodes, they're undeniably going to be a little broadened and kind of generalized to the point where it kind of makes it like, oh, well, what's the point of that? I will say this, though, the line, one journalist utters to the journalist dealing with online harassment, the line, they're not people, they're trolls, is still really funny to me, and I love it. Best line in the whole show so far. Madison, I think you had some really great insight there. I feel like they're like just kind of missing what this show is supposedly based off of. And I'm a little lost on that um, because like, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, most villages don't have like cops, like, you know, or at least like the ones we do in like Anchorage you know um they have like you were saying Madison like they have different kinds of law enforcement but um that was like the whole point of Wallace and like why like that was like kind of the basis for it and like why like why this keeps happening with missing and murdered indigenous women but yeah like I said I feel like the show is just kind of missing that point yeah um, real quick, I just want to bring up a quote from Lawless, uh, and it says, at least one in three Alaska villages has no local law, enforce- in law enforcement. So that's an actual statistic from Lawless. And I don't know, it just feels disingenuous to say that, like, yeah, they're fine. They have law enforcement. They're just corrupt. So I felt like for a show about missing and murdered Indigenous women, the show did not really focus on or talk about murdered and Indigenous women. Um, it was kind of like, oh, this journalist who maybe has a mental health issue, we're going to kind of throw that in, not talk about it. Oh, look, they have conflict at work. Oh, look, they can't get police records and nobody wants to do anything about it about except for this one woman. Like, it was just all over the place. Oh, we don't have funding, but you have to go stay at the Captain Cook Hotel. I was like, I am so confused. I feel like we're focusing on the wrong things here. But um, one of the like 
issues, of course, in this episode is that the chief of police in Meade has been covering up assaults reported by women in the community. Um, so this community, in the show at least, has a um, law enforcement system and it's not working for them at all. Um, so what are your thoughts on this? I personally uh, think that uh, the show, even though it's technically a show about missing indigenous women, as they say, I do think that uh, the idea that the police in real life do sometimes do that and uh, cover up records, to my knowledge, um, I'm glad they're at least addressing it. Uh, even if it doesn't 100% work with the story, I can understand why they brought it up because it is 100% a real thing that happens. It, it's like it's like trying to be anti-copaganda without actually being anti-copaganda. And it's just a lot to go through. Yeah, it's like they're a little too afraid to say that the police do bad things sometimes. Which is, um, I hate to break it to you, but... um. Newsflash, sometimes they do bad things. Um, don't tell the moms about the police. They'll get mad. They're going to get mad. Mom, I'm really sorry. Mom, I'm really sorry. Uh, but I don't know. I'm a little lost on this one, my friends. I guess for me, uh, like everyone, like pointing out police corruption is incredibly important. Um, but what I... Uh, something I thought about that is like especially important is that they kind of focused on this on the individual um and what I hope they do is maybe talk about how this is spread out and this is part of a system and that there's bigger people we can take down um because of this um what I think is interesting in reference to the fact that Alaska villages have no like local law enforcement and then they have to use vi village public safety officers is that there are lawmakers in Alaska who continue to not put funding towards villages to give them police presence. And I think that would fit so much better with the show and how they love to like take down the big like the big man like they did in the first episode with the billionaire who eventually did kill themselves. But it was about uncovering corruption, especially in the same episode with the the senator who supported salmon fishing or yeah, supported salmon fishing, but said they were like pro fish. Um I think if they focused on that and the lack of resources that lawmakers aren't giving would be much more impactful um, and be much more close to like the muckraking sort of like investigative journalism kind of thing, taking down the big dog. But instead, for right now, at least, they're focusing on more smaller police office, like corruption, police officer corruption, um, which I hope they go into like maybe systematic, how this is systematic and how there are bigger fish they can catch if I'm going to make an Alaskan joke or like, you know, stuff like that. Just like focusing on the fact that this is just an individual, but this is also systematic. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how to explain to someone who doesn't understand, but I mean, like we know that like, the government and like the police are like highly like like intertwined and like it's like really 
yeah, it's like a really complex issue, but I think I think it's really easy just to kind of blame it on one person or like one entity or like one department and just say that all the other ones are probably good. Right. Uh, I personally think that I've had arguments like this plenty of times just because people like people that I argue with usually are under the false assumption that there are only individual solutions to complex systemic problems just because I guess individuals created the system but fail to acknowledge that the people who created those systems are probably long dead by now and there are like community actions that can be taken to stop such systemic problems and when people say individuals stop doing need to do it need to stop doing bad stuff and then maybe the problem will magically be solved it's just completely unrealistic and I really do not like having arguments like that. The show seems to be covering a new story each week while continuing the plot line of Eileen and Ross looking into Gloria's death. Do you feel like the show is doing a good job of getting you invested in the investigation of missing and murdered indigenous women, which is what the original journalism that the show is based on covered? Uh, I honestly don't think so. Um, the side stories, you know, the, you know, politicians being scandalous, the big burger fiasco, they draw away from the main issue. Um, and kind of it, since they're funny, you only focus on those funny, ridiculous parts and you forget about the the underlying story like in the last episode basically all we talked about was the big burger thing because that was like the funny inaccurate part of it um and I think I mean I would love to see them create a show that's just about this investigative reporting um because the lawless is such a it's such a sad piece but like eye-opening um that I wish they would like focus on them like crafting the story but I notice I acknowledge that I'm a journalist and so that's interesting to me but not interesting to others because uh, watching people create a long drawn out investigative series isn't all that interesting um but I feel like they could have even cut it down to 30 minutes if they need to to just get that important story out um but yeah just just really not you know focusing on the main points um but I do get it's for a broad audience and the fact that it is bringing attention to murdered and missing indigenous women is a is a good cause yeah and I to answer the earlier question I don't think it's doing a particularly great job of getting us invested in the mystery. I mean, it's using the most basic tools imaginable to try and get you invested. Like, you know, just the whole traditional setup and payoff. And I wish I could say that I appreciate these attempts, but for me, it just doesn't seem very good or original. And I think there's creating a much stronger foundation of characters, even if it was totally fictionalized it would have benefited the story far more than just being an ABC original series. Like, I honestly think that even if they didn't have enough material for it, it would have been cool to see it as like a 
HBO original drama, and maybe it might even be more accurate. Who knows? But these are just my thoughts. The idea that it could be used as like a true detective style show rather than an NCIS style show. So final question. Where do you think the show is going? Where do you hope the show is going? Well, I wish I could say it's hard to say. But um, from what I'm understanding, this show is a little predictable. And you know, like I said, I like predictable television. I really do. That's, you know, I like that you watch it. You know, it's going to happen. Everything is probably going to be all right at the end. But um, this is predictable in a way that is like making me mad um you know like like you guys like we've been saying this whole time like I'm really just not drawing the connection between like the lawless series and the show other than the fact that they had read it beforehand um and you know I'm not trying to discredit the work they're doing to bring like attention to this issue but I, I'm just not it's not based off this series I'm sorry it's just not um like Madison was saying like they're just completely like missing the point of like that there aren't police in these communities or like they don't have like resources or whatever um it seems like they're just twisting the story a little bit, but I do have hope. I do have hope that it could get better. We'll see. I personally think this show is a bit of a shame because one of the uh, architects behind the whole thing, a name we mentioned a handful of times here, Tom McCarthy, he wasn't like the director or writer for the third episode, but I think he is credited in the created by section. Correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, the idea is Tom McCarthy is actually reasonably talented. Whether or not he should be the one telling the story is, of course, up for debate. But he has made good journalism adaptations before with movies like Spotlight. So it is weird that he got the ABC Disney treatment that may have inhibited his creative vision. I mean, that's just a thought and me just speculating, not saying empirically at all. But I do think that since he's made better journalism adaptations before, it wouldn't surprise me if it was uh, lost in translation. But what was the original question? Because I feel like it sort of went on my own tangent. Just kind of like, where do you think the show is going or where do you want to see it go? Right. I mean, I'm pretty much in the same boat as Quinn where I think it'll be predictable, but I hope it's not. Like, I hope it does do something surprising in the last few episodes that I'm undoubtedly gonna hate or love watch depending on how it goes for the next few episodes i think it'll be predictable but i cannot say for sure this show from what me and my family have seen is so predictable at episode two my father said when he first saw rita at rita's he knew immediately that she burned down the place immediately so that's where the show appears to be going but I think it's a shame that for a show that right now is about indigenous women, I'm pretty miffed at the the poor representation in the sense that I don't think this show has enough non-white characters. 
especially uh, we see barely any indigenous women and i want to see more i want to see more diversity and better representation because right now it looks like it lacks both of them and if they get better at that maybe i'll turn the other cheek and forget about the show's predictability I absolutely agree with the uh, your point, Ormond, with the lack of diversity. Um, a point I wanted to bring up that I hope the show doesn't spiral into is becoming a white savior narrative, wherein this uh, outsider, this white woman, comes to a community of like indigenous people and basically solves their problem. I hope it doesn't turn into that. And honestly, I was like kind of suspicious of the story at the beginning when I heard about it because I didn't understand why they needed this outside New York person to come in and tell the stories of uh, you know, indigenous people but also tell the stories that people from Alaska who have ex like, you know, been in that environment could tell um and then even the original story aside from help from pro publica um kyle hopkins really you know he wasn't an outsider so i really didn't understand why they needed that but i hope that they rephrase it in a way where she's not saving them she's just simply helping out Roz and all the other people in the um in uh what is it alaska daily alaska alaskan um and just helping them get a story out there because she has experience and not because she's the only one who can tell the story um i also hope they stop uh you know having the side stories be so like important um although i am excited for the uh this week's episode which is episode four and it's supposedly about the state fair so i'm excited to see how they <laughs> represent that um but yeah just hoping it doesn't spiral into a white savior narrative yeah we've seen too much white savior stuff i don't want to see that again very much so and i don't want to see it either been there done that okay guys so that was the final question um i'm not sure how to end it my notes don't say how to end it and i'm a silly goofy gal thank you so much thank you so much for coming here thank you so much for watching the show um, I didn't know the next episode was going to be about the State Fair, and that has me a little bit concerned. I'm a little... <laughs> it's going to be filmed in Vancouver. I'm so excited to see it. Um, yeah, I, can we leave? That was At Me Producers discussing the first three episodes of Alaska Daily. Watching our podcast feed for more coverage of the show, we'll be discussing the rest of the season in a few more roundtables. Also in an upcoming episode, we have an interview with Anchorage Daily News reporter Kyle Hopkins about his work being the basis for the show. We've been listening to Film Club, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman and Devin Schreckengost. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the Alaska State Council on the Arts. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. 
If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska, you can keep our podcast going, and you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy access for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by rating or writing a review for podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And if you are a youth ages 13 to 24 who loves movies and is interested in being a part of our film club, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Vegan Nelson. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.